Hey, Survivor fans, let's talk about a snack that would take that island by storm. Wonderful pistachios. Wonderful pistachios are the undisputed champions of proteins. They pack a punch, boasting six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. That's over 10% of your daily value. Talk about a powerhouse snack. And let's not forget the lineup. We're talking flavors galore. Sweet chili, salt and pepper, honey roasted. Wonderful pistachios is like a flavor festival for your taste buds. Perfect for tribal gatherings or on-the-go adventures. The no-shells option is a game changer. Just grab and go. It's that easy. So Survivor Squad, if you want to outwit, outplay, outsnack the competition, make Wonderful Pistachios your go-to snack. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. I'm Jeff Probst, the host and showrunner of Survivor. Each week, I'm joined by Jay Wolf, Survivor fan and the producer of this podcast. What's up, Jay? Hey, Jeff. We are also joined each week by a former Survivor player. And last season, we had Rick Devins, who did a great job. This season, we have a new player in the co-host seat. She's a new era player. She's a new era winner. Welcome to On Fire, D. Valladares. What's up, everyone? I am so excited to be here. All right, D. Well, we are very glad you're here. And you're going to bring your analysis and your opinion from the player's point of view. Before we get into this first episode, there's a couple of things going on for you. And I'm curious about how you're feeling. Number one, you have this new job. You're going to be here every week co-hosting On Fire with Jamie. (laughs) But also, you're transitioning from the winner of the current season of Survivor to the winner of the last season of Survivor. And I'm curious, how does that feel? What's different about that? Woo. Jeff, the nerves never go away, but I do feel (laughs) so much relief now that I get to finally talk about Survivor openly. Um, But most (laughs) importantly, I have a new mission, which is co-hosting, and I'm so grateful. And my goal really is to provide as much insight as I can to future players, because I honestly wish I had more of the podcast before I left on the island. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, you know, it's also interesting to me as as we enter our third season of this, because I'm starting to hear from a, a lot of fans who listen. They also like the specific point of view from the player because a lot of people watch Survivor and sort of play along. What would I do in this situation? Would I tell somebody right. I had an idol? So I always think it's interesting when a player can say, here's why you might tell your Alliance member, or here's why you wouldn't. So, all right, if you're new to this podcast, here's how it works. Each week, we dissect the big moments of the most recent episode of Survivor, and we bring you insight from the point of view of the fan in Jay, the player in D, and the producer in me. So let's not delay, Jay. Let's get right into it. Episode (laughs) one, Survivor 46, where you want to start? I think we got to start with the start. I'd love to start with the opening of the show. And Jeff, can you give us some context about why you opened the show this way? And then I'm going to play the clip. 
Sure. Okay. So we are always looking for a new way to open the show mm. that really marries two bookends. On one end, you have this idea of an epic adventure, Joseph Campbell, the hero's journey. And at the other side, you have the innocence of once upon a time from like a, a children's book. Mm -hmm. But you don't want to just be different for the sake of being different. You want your decision to be inspired and informed by that particular season because you're setting up the expectations for the audience for this season. So in this case, Ryan Baltazar is one of our co-EPs. He's the producer on this premiere episode, and he works alongside our supervising producer and editor, Bill Bowden. And then Ariel Blanford is Ryan's segment producer. She's in the field and in the edibase. So you have this team, and then you have all our other editors that make the show come together. That's who's going to be helming the premiere. And Ryan had this idea in like the first day or two out there and his idea was, we have Tevin, and Tevin is this talented performer. He's an actor. He's got this amazing voice. And I got to say, when Tevin talks, he is so commanding. You know, he's got this gravitas that you do sort of mm. lean in and say, mm -hmm. wait, tell me more. And so Ryan's idea was, what if we just took his unique point of view and just sit with him? in the jungle and interview him and ask him to talk about Survivor in his own words. How would Tevin describe the adventure he's about to take on? And the result, I think, one of the most simple and electric opens we've ever done. Survivor is 18 people coming together from all different walks of life. And they are here all together at one time, having to trust each other, build a society, play challenges with each other with different strengths, different weaknesses, and to be able to trust one another while also not trusting anyone because you're playing a game that is built on deceit. And you have to be vulnerable and you have to be authentically yourself. And you have to overcome and adapt to all the challenges in which they are guaranteed to face because that is what Survivor is about. <laughs> but it is in that moment right there makes the game so worth playing. And I'm ready for it. I mean, me personally, Jeff, I'm ready to run through a brick wall. I'm so hyped <laughs> listening to Tevin tell me about what Survivor is. We also got to hear from a few other players in the very beginning. And I'm curious, D, from a player's perspective, what are you seeing that we, the fans, might not mm. be picking up on at this point? So from the get-go, I start picking up on personality traits. And there's actually three players that stood out to me. Soda. She has this contagious energy about her, especially when she was like them, but not me. So mm. I vibe with people that make me laugh. And it tells me that we can turn any crappy situation in the game into a positive one. Tiff is another one calling herself a hustler. I identify with hustlers. So I know our minds will constantly be spinning and it shows me that we can strategize a ton together. Mm. And lastly, mm. Banu, his story, 18 years living in India in a hut made of palm trees and mud floors is newly a citizen. I empathize with his story. So I'll probably be able to read him as a player and I want to play with people that I can understand. I'm just going to interrupt here, Jay, to say we made the right choice. That was <laughs> mm, already really interesting that you picked up three people and why. 
And I'll give you my vibe on the entire season because as I Ooh. mentioned earlier, every season has a feeling or a direction or an overall vibe. And this season, the first word that came to mind when we were shooting was eclectic. And I know you could say, well, every season of Survivor is eclectic. But this is a really interesting group of people that you would never find together in any other situation. <laughs> and I think the audience is really going to enjoy a lot of them. Mm. There's also a weird theme of music this season. <laughs> right. Again, just the combination of people who are into music or they might play an instrument or they can sing. But I think you're going to have moments of a lot of fun and also a lot of joy as a result. And then the big thing is the gameplay. This game is evolving. Mm. As the players learn this, you know, we're in the sixth iteration of this new era, they're starting to figure out the places they can open it up. You know, is there another way I could leverage my shot in the dark? What hasn't been done from a player's point of view with the beware advantage? So there is a very high level of gameplay this season. And if you, as a player, overlook or underestimate based on how someone is dressed or your first impression or their perceived intellect or game savvy, it's going to be you that's getting your torch snuff. So I'm very excited mm. to be on the producing end. I'm very excited for our audience to get to see it because it's going to be a great season of Survivor. All right, what's next? Okay, let's get into the episode. So it had a literal rocky start. Apparently there was some... Uh puking off the side of the boat. <laughs> Don't want to know too much more about that. But Jeff, you didn't do a Q&A like we're used to, but instead you started offering this new cast some advice. And it was a little bit surprising for me, the advice that you were giving them, because essentially what you were saying was that even though the game literally just started moments ago, there are already people here who can't win. And I want to listen to it, and then I want to understand the intention behind it. Okay. And you all right now, believe you can win this game. But it's simply not true. Right now, there is at least one of you that cannot win, no matter who you go to the end with. It won't matter. Something about your personality is not gonna gel with this group and you won't get the votes. And the beautiful thing about the confidence of a Survivor player is right now you're all nodding in agreement and yet none of you think you're the one who can't win. <laughs> it's one of the reasons Survivor is so fun to watch, but it should be the number one reason why each of you play this game on your terms. Because that blind optimism that you have right now, that specific point of view that you're bringing into the game, it's gonna work or not work, but it is your single biggest weapon. Jeff, I got to say, this is kind of a harsh reality for day one of Survivor. Why give them this speech before they started? Well, this goes back to what we've said twice already. Form follows function. Why are you doing what you're doing? We actually did do a Q&A, and I did the woman in the yellow, what's your name? And we asked questions. Mm -hmm. And on the day, it was interesting. But when we put it into the episode, we realized for this season, the player's interviews that we've already heard. They're more informative and they're better delivered. So we cut it. I was really on that day only interested in one idea. And the point I wanted to make was not that you can't win. That was the setup. Here was the point I wanted to make. You are who you are and you can't change that. You can't change your personality. And so because of that, there's going to be personalities right here who cannot win this game. Even if you get to the final three, but the big thing is you can't see it. Even as I'm saying it, you're all nodding and agreeing, but you're all certain it's not you. 
That's blind optimism, and that's a great thing. That's what you need on Survivor. When Dee showed up, she knew she could win. She believed <laughs> she could win. She happened to be mm -hmm. right, and she won. But everybody else standing next to her thought the same thing. So what I was trying to get into the head of the player is, Play the first time as though you're playing for the second because second-time players don't second-guess. They just go. And first-time players often second-guess their way out of the game. Mm. Dee, do you agree with that advice? Yeah, I really do think that blind optimism and mindset are definitely your assets out there. And I've spoken to a lot of players in the past, and a lot of times I hear that their dream was to obviously get casted on the show or that they'd be happy to not be the first boot or that they're grateful to make the merge. And ultimately, your objective should be to win, not anything else that I just mentioned. And you have to be delusional enough to know mm. that you will win, <laughs> not can win, will win, even before stepping foot on the island. So you kind of just work backwards from there. Mm -hmm. I couldn't have said it better because <laughs> you're probably going to be voted out. Almost yep. every player is voted out. So forget that, accept that, and instead go win. Yep. <laughs> it's a completely different shift in how you play the game. It doesn't seem like much, but it's enormous. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I think we should talk about Sweat versus Savvy because for the second time, both groups failed. Is that our fault? I say no. And I'm curious about <laughs> Dee's take on Jelensky quitting and breaking a sand timer. And how do you make a 500-pound gecko? We'll be right back. Listen, wearing the same clothes for 26 days straight on Survivor really made me realize the importance of buying high-quality, long-lasting clothes. That's why I love Quince. They have timeless, well-made pieces that last for years and don't go out of style. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves like 100% European linen shirts, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. Buying pieces from Quince means that I don't have to keep buying new clothes every year which is better for my wallet and the environment. I recently got a super chic Italian leather tote from Quince and I'm loving how it looks. The best part about Quince is that by partnering directly with top factories, they're able to keep prices super affordable. I'm talking 50 to 80% cheaper than similar brands. And the other best part is that Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I love that. Upgrade your wardrobe. Go to Quince.com Survivor for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com Survivor to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com Survivor. Welcome back to On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. All right, Jay, next moment. Okay, the next moment has got to be Sweat versus Savvy. And as we've seen throughout the new era, teams that lose the marooning challenge have to compete in this Sweat versus Savvy challenge to earn their camp supplies. Again, for the second time in two seasons, both groups lost. Yeah. So Jeff, got to ask, is that the design to increase the difficulty season after season until someone can't complete it? No, absolutely not. We're never trying to get to failure with the players. Sweat versus Savvy is there as a penalty for losing the marooning challenge, and it forces you to work harder to earn your supplies. We want them to have their supplies. We know they have very little. So we design and test Sweat versus Savvy the same every single season. Sweat, just as a reminder, is always designed to be totally achievable, but only if you work very hard and you are probably going to be separated from your tribe. So there's a risk that while you are working, they may be conspiring against you. That's the invoice for sweat. Mm. Savvy, slightly different. 
doesn't require physical exertion. It requires being clever or good at solving visual puzzles, things like that. And you typically only get one guess. So that's designed to see how well do you know your new tribe mates to ensure that you're putting up the players who everybody thinks is best equipped to take this on so you can get your supplies. But I want to say it again. We never, ever set the players up for failure. Everything is a test, but it's not a trap. Mm. D, one thing I noticed was that even though both groups failed, there were two very different approaches to the two challenges. Yeah. I'm going to play some clips. This is Ben. It looks hardcore, but if I go home tomorrow, like I want to know I at least stepped up. And on the other hand, we had Jelinski. <laughs> so with that time that's left, you'll think we can finish it. I don't. You feel that in your heart? I do. And there goes the sand timer. So, so <laughs> Ben came at it with this positive energy and wanting to do his best. And Jelinski, I think with three hours remaining or something like that, just gives up and quits. For me, from a fan perspective, and I, I, I imagine the audience will join me in this, it's hard for me to get behind somebody who quits, especially so quickly. Yeah. For you, what do you do if you're Q? And what do you do if you're on Jelinski's tribe and they come back hours early and you say, oh my gosh, did you guys already finish? And they say, no, we quit. <laughs> Is there a world where you still align with them or it's automatically written off? So those two scenes really caught my eye. And it's because we're looking at two sides of the same coin. And Q said it best. This will either bond us or break us. Mm. And we mm. saw each outcome with Ben and Charlie's relationship coming together versus Q and Jelinski's crumbling apart. So I personally think that Jelinski gave up way before he even called it quits. And there really wasn't much that Q could have done other than continue his words of encouragement. So this may be all or nothing thinking, but as a player, if I'm Q or I'm on the Yanu tribe, there is no world in which I could align with Jelinski. And it's not because he's not a nice guy, right? It's just that the reason is simple. If he gives up on himself, he's going to definitely give up wow. on me. This is a masterclass already <laughs> just a few minutes into our first <laughs> episode of On Fire. That was great insight. Yeah, I think and on the other hand, too, you had Q, who if that sand timer hadn't broken for my money, he probably could have finished it on his own. It seemed like <laughs> oh, he yeah. had the willpower. <laughs> definitely. Actually, I have a follow-up to that, D. Can you tell me a little bit more about how vital those tribe supplies are over the first three days? I think we as the audience see people don't have the machete, but what does that really mean? So aside from the obvious survival answers, the supplies really do boost more on the tribe. And actually, I just remembered um, a story that wasn't aired the first day when we had the flint. The boys tried doing everything to get the fire going and it just was not working out. So they decided to take it out on a little date. And so we were all pitching in different ideas for this date. And then the higher the fire was getting, the better the date was going. So having the flit really led to some hilarious conversations between us all. And I truly believe that that bonding moment on day number one really set the standard for our tribe. Mm. As a result, honestly, we communicated so well when it really, really mattered in the game, which was the strategizing as a tribe seconds before starting the challenge. Huh. That's a great story. And for what it's worth, you know, I think people assume that I I see everything or that I'm watching tapes all day of everything that's going on. I don't. I had no idea this story. Didn't know what happened. Sounds like a great moment. And I guess it's evidence of how good Survivor 45 was that we didn't even have time to include it. 
All right, Jay, <laughs> next moment. Uh, yeah, let's talk next about that new game on the journey. But before we do that, Jeff, can you remind our listeners the purpose of sending players on these journeys? Yes. Okay. So the why behind a journey, it's layered, but there's one overriding idea, and that's cross-pollination. Mm. You're going to now have people from different tribes meet each other. And so when you put that into the hands of an individual tribe, they have a big decision. You're going to send somebody to meet players from the other tribes. Who are you going to send? And to complicate it, you know that they may have a shot at an advantage or something that will impact the game. They may also do something that injures their game, which could injure your alliance. They might lose their vote or something like that. So it's all centered around one little question, but it forces the tribe to communicate and deduce who they should send, who's the best person to put into this situation. Okay, so let's talk about this game here on this journey. It was a simple game. Who's lying? But there were so many layers behind who's lying, even if eventually Jelinski did, for the second time, quit. And <laughs> you could still see the idea behind right. the original game. So how did you go about designing it? Well, this was an idea from Team Flint, and I think you hit the key. The reason I really like this game is it doesn't matter how it plays. It doesn't matter if it even finishes the way you hope it does. It's designed to reveal character. And you saw that with Jelinski. As you said, he crumbled again. He basically quit again. And Alan Lee, who I bring up frequently, who created the game Exploding mm -hmm. Kittens, he said something to me one time that was so smart and I've never forgotten it. And he said, the key to a good game is the game isn't interesting. The game makes the player interesting. This game makes wow. the player interesting because it forces you into a role. One person is telling the truth. So can you persuade someone who's already suspicious of you that you are in fact telling the truth? You know, what parts mm. of your personality do you know that will work with that? The other person is lying. So you have the opposite. You know they're suspicious of you and they're right to be suspicious because you're lying. So which parts of your personality do you use to convince them you're actually the one telling the truth? <laughs> and then that third role is the detective. And they're trying to look at all the possibilities of body language or eye twitches or the way somebody's cadence change, whatever it is to figure out who's telling the truth and who isn't. It doesn't matter. You have three strangers playing this game of deception, and it's always going to be interesting. So, D, what's the goal here beyond the obvious, I want to get an advantage because I went on the journey? Yeah. So first of all, I thought that journey was so much fun to watch. Um, mm. And the end goal right now really is information, mm. but also a head start in building rapport with new players. So you establish that and now it's time to pretend you're a CIA agent. So <laughs> from the moment that the boat pulls up, this is your opportunity to read tribe dynamics and ask yourself a few questions. So who is desperate for an advantage? Who is the leader? Who is okay with staying back and why? So it's in these quick moments of decision that really tell you a lot about a person's character and really gives you insight on how they'll play the game. So, oh, can we also talk about Tevin's power stance in the journey? Mm. Because wait, yeah, even his head, his head nods were in tune with the words that came out of his mouth with his arms on his hips. He was in a power position. So props to Maria for picking up wow. on body language here. And I honestly think that this is the perfect example of how the most persuasive person in a room, in this case, the island, um, is the person who is the most certain. And that was obviously Tevin. Damn. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, I'm learning a lot. All right, last little moment I want to bring up here. There's a lot of fun new tribe alliance names being built here. Uh, shout out to Nick Wilson. Insert a little guitar solo here. And this episode, we had the Andy Griffith Alliance. 
Jeff, I got to say, I don't think any Survivor fan is expecting to see a square aspect ratio and black and white while they're watching Survivor. (laughs) Well, uh, you know, that actual part of it, the square aspect ratio, that is, again, form follows function, and I'll explain why. This was another inspired idea from this team responsible for this episode. It came during editing. Tevin and Hunter had formed this Andy Griffith alliance. So for the first cut, they used music that sounded similar to Andy Griffith. Mm. And they took the color out, so it was black and white. And we looked at it, and we thought, it's funny. So why don't we just commit to it and see how far we can take it? So the first thing we said is, can we get the real Andy Griffith theme? (laughs) You know, is it affordable? We found out, yeah, we can afford it. Okay, let's do it. Then we added a bit of texture to the black and white. Then we squeezed the frame, as you said, the aspect ratio, so it was like TV was back then. We then added the graphic title card, which mirrors what is on the show. We even went so far as to, we tested framing it inside an old TV console. And then we saw it and went, okay, that's the edge. That's too far. Let's don't Mm. do that. And we brought it back. But that's how we got there. And that's what ended up airing. Really fun. All right, let's take another break. We still have to talk about the new Hidden Immunity Idol, the complication that comes with it. Tiffany was the first to encounter it. Plus the gecko. And then, of course, the first boot, Jelinski. Be right back. Welcome back to On Fire. All right, Jay. Is it time? I think it's time. That is 500 pounds of Survivor Gecko. Ain't nothing easy on Survivor. (laughs) I got to hear about this Gecko, Jeff. But first, how do you go about designing the first challenge or challenges in the season? All right. So typically, we have two challenges in a premiere. That first challenge is the marooning. And that is about birthing you into this game. That's why we try to have mud. We're we're wanting you to know and realize you're not in Kansas anymore. Mm. Your adventure has begun. And what's tricky about that challenge is you don't know anybody. You don't even know their names. Remember, they don't talk. They don't talk until they get to me and I say... Okay, you can talk. So you're making quick decisions. You're looking at the layout of the challenge and you're going, okay, look, I think I'm pretty good with puzzles. You seem pretty strong. You got to be right because you're playing for your tribe supplies. And if you're wrong, Mm. it is a setback. And that's your first invoice in this game is you chose the wrong people for the wrong roles. And now you got to go try again to earn your supplies. And if you get it wrong again, you don't have any supplies. Mm. So that is the kickstart to the game. When you get to the immunity challenge, now you're a couple of days in. You kind of know your group. You've had some nights in the rain, maybe. You've built your shelter. You've talked about where you're from. You're learning tendencies, maybe skill sets, maybe attitudes. So now when you ask yourself, who do you put into each role, you have a little bit more information. And the stakes are huge because if you lose... One of the six of you are going home. Game over, dream ends. Mm. So for your first immunity challenge, from our standpoint, we want scope. We want it to be so big that the players go, I have to do what? And then you want drama. And then you want these incredible obstacles that they can accomplish. And then you force all of that into this explosion of energy and you say, go. And that's when you get to see the dynamic of the tribe play out. And so naturally, the next thought that you have is, so you need a 500-pound gecko. 
<laughs> so, so jealous. the art department has obviously done a lot in the course of survivor but i've never seen anything like this can you take us inside making this gecko so Rahib prasad made that gecko he's in our art department he's responsible for sewing everything the players personal bags the leather pouches that a note might come in mm. Rohit can do all that stuff in his sleep but the <laughs> giant gecko was a big task even for him and he'd never really made anything of this scale he later told me he knew he could do it. He just needed to figure out how he was going to do it. Mm -hmm. So he laid it out and realized the issue for him was going to be the legs. Mm -hmm. How is he going to figure out how to shape these legs? So we asked our art department, Simo and Zach, to make a styrofoam mold for the legs. Okay. And then that helped him form the entire shape of the gecko. Wow. So he made one. He made a prototype. And he got a bunch of people in the art department to jump on it and try to tear it apart. And he was convinced it would work. So he made two more. Now we get to our first official test. And remember, on a test, we don't have cameras. It's a smaller group. Mm -hmm. We have our dream team. We have the three geckos. Rohit was very confident. But he didn't know that at the end of the challenge, the gecko was going to be clipped into these two hooks. And I guess nobody mm. thought that would be an issue, so nobody mentioned it. But Rohit is now going, wait a minute, this is this is new information. <laughs> uh -oh. This gecko is going to be <laughs> hanging from these two hooks. So that was the only part of the challenge that worried him. And he told me later, if I had had more time, I would have put metal plates inside the gecko and with nuts and bolts to ensure that the handles would never give in. But we didn't have time, so we ran it and it played great. And I did talk to Rohit afterwards, and he said, yeah, I, I was confident, but he was still on edge because when it's happening out there, the players bring another level of intensity. And we see it all the time in our testing. The dream team works so hard, but they're not playing for their lives in the game. Yeah. And so that was the only, you know, the variable was how much are they going to pull on this? And the other part of the gecko I got to mention was the scenic, which is the artists who paint it. Because when you saw it up close, yeah. it had it had bloodshot eyes. I mean, it was really mm, wow. fantastic and just a great celebration overall and a, and a really a great testament to Rohit that he can build something as small as a player's personal bag and he can build something as big as a 500-pound gecko. Go Rohit. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing. And, and I think it speaks to how incredible it must be to be a player on Survivor D. Is that how it feels when you see this gecko you see the bloodshot eyes, you see this massive tower for the first time, and you think to yourself, oh my God, I have to do this? <laughs> Rohit did not build a gecko for us, <laughs> but I can tell you that it's complete astonishment seeing these challenges for the first time. You really do feel like a 10-year-old. And I'll tell you what, the excitement fades so quickly because now it's game on. So trust has yet to be established. And now that we have to team up um, and make decisions on who will be part of the challenge and this sometimes turns into a big babble, which is what you want to stay away from mm. as a tribe. It happens all the time. And mm. kind of a piece of advice that I want to give to future players here. If you're the outspoken type, speak your mind, but don't be too pushy. And if you're the quiet type, make sure you at least stand your ground if you disagree with your placement on the challenge, because this strategizing session can be do or die for your game, like Jeff mentioned. That's interesting. It's something that we don't often see as the audience, but I would bet that it changes a lot of the game. So next moment that happens, I want to talk about Tiffany's race to get her idol. And so 
Obviously, the beware advantage has changed the game. It also has changed itself over the course of these first six seasons of the new era. Kiri, you had the beware advantage take on this new wrinkle. There were no instructions for how to get the next step of the advantage until you lost a challenge, meaning there's a clock. Jeff, how do you put that into play as a new element? Well, just as a reminder for context, what makes a beware advantage unique from other advantages that we've had in the past is that you must do something and it's going to be significant and it's going to be risky and it might be in public. And if you fail, there is a consequence. That's what makes a beware advantage. That's why it says, are you sure you want this? Because it comes with risk because in the new era, you're going to earn everything. But that ticking clock you're talking about was Matt Van Wagenen's idea. And what you're going for with something like that is you're trying to collide one ticking clock, finding an idol, with another ticking clock, deciding who's going home tonight. So for Tiffany, she's got this dilemma. Her tribe lost. Somebody's going home. You don't want it to be you. You do want it to be the person you want to go home. But at the moment, you have no vote. Mm. And you don't have a lot of time to solve both problems. And from a production standpoint, our reality teams who are out there shooting this, they have to be very tight, very inconspicuous, very coordinated because we don't have a lot of time either. And we don't have a lot of camera operators because they're over following the other discussion that's <laughs> happening at the other end of the beach. So there is a lot going on. Everybody, the player and the production team has to be in sync in order for it to work. So D, how much time does this actually take? So we have no perception of time out there. So my <laughs> guess uh, before the sun comes down is two to three hours. Uh, so I know firsthand the panic that Tiffany was feeling. She's going to eventually find the idol that she's looking for, right? But the heart-dropping yeah. questions in her mind are, will I get caught? What's my storyline if I do? And how long can I be searching until someone realizes I've been gone too long? And not just that, she has to come back and strategize and make sure it's not her going home tonight. Wow. Mm. You know, it's interesting. Tiffany chose to share her beware advantage, what she found with Kenzie and with Q. It kind of reminded me of how Drew and Austin decided to share what they had found yeah. with you and, and Mama Julie. Is is the beware advantage here, D, in your opinion, something that kind of needs to be shared because of the stakes? Ooh, look, I'm going to push back on Tip a little bit here, but <laughs> no. I don't think that this is something that needs to be shared unless you absolutely have to. And it seemed like Tiff shared the news of finding uh, the beware advantage before she even opened it up. So I would have loved to watch a scenario where she waited to grab it in private and then make sure that she can do the steps necessary on her own before telling anyone else. Mm. Kind of like how Drew and Austin played it, where they dug for days before they decided to tell Julie and I about it. Mm. All right. I think we got to get to tribal council. Obviously, being the first person voted out on Survivor is not what you want. Here, it actually reminded me, Jeff, of what you said at the very beginning of the show. For some of you, this is not going to work. You just can't win. Mm -hmm. Is that what happened here? Well, when I gave that speech at the top, I didn't have anyone in mind. I was merely making the point that it is true, that there are personalities that are not going to jibe, and no matter who you end up with, you can't win. I didn't know it, but it turns out I was talking about mm. Jelensky because mm. I don't think, just based on what I saw in three days, Jelensky was going to win no matter who you put him up against in the final three. But I want to be clear. I love Jelensky. I mean it. <laughs> I adore this kid. From the minute I met him, he had a crazy upbringing as a kid. He has been through a lot. But he had a dream. 
And his dream was to get on Survivor. And he accomplished that dream. Mm. And he declared himself a last name player. And he took on Sweat versus Savvy. He put himself on the puzzle. He uttered one of many lines that will become part of the Survivor lexicon. Several means seven. (laughs) And yes, he was also the first person voted out of Survivor 46, Rip Jelinski. I think there was one more line, Jeff, that he uttered that I think we all need to remember. Jeff preaches about the monster in this game. Jelinski is the monster. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So awesome. And, And can I just say, before we get into our fan questions, that is why Survivor is so fun from our end. We only got to see Jelinski for one episode, but what an episode it was. He left his mark, and that's all you can ever (laughs) ask from a player. Okay, let's get into some fan questions. And as a reminder, if you have questions for Jeff, you can email us at survivorshoutout at cbs.com, and I will read those questions, maybe even read them here. The first question comes from Triana. She writes... Hi, On Fire. I'm writing you from Melbourne, Australia. A big fan of Survivor and what you're doing with On Fire. I work in graphic design, so the use of color on Survivor is particularly inspiring for me. And as we're at the start of the new season, I figured it's the perfect time to ask, how much thought goes into the selection of tribe colors each season, and how does that process come together? Do you deliberately try to choose colors that haven't been on the show in a while? And how do you decide the merge tribe color? Before I let you answer, Jeff, Triana sent a graph in this email. Really? Mapping out every single color of every single season of Survivor showing which got chosen and when. Will you please send that to me? Yeah, it's really impressive. Okay, so I feel a little inadequate to answer this question to Triana because she already (laughs) knows more than I do. But here's what I've learned (laughs) from Zach and Simo and Jesse Jensen, who's now an EP but used to run art, and Maria Sundin, who does all of the coordinating of the wardrobe. What I've learned is... On this color spectrum, there are certain colors that go together. So if you're going to design colors for three tribes and one of them is orange, then you might also have yellow and brown. And that those colors will Mm. all go together on that tribe and they'll all kind of work together because not everybody can wear yellow. And if you do blue, then you might have purple and you might have black, you know, that kind of a thing. So there's not as many options as it seems like there would be, especially when you add a third tribe and then the fourth color is the merge buff. So our design team looks at variations on a theme and then they look at the logo they're designing and then they look at the big color palette that they're going to put into tribal council. And based on all of that, they decide which colors and then Maria and Caitlin get to work on the clothing. So it's kind of a vague answer, but that's really how it is approached. So we've got the next question with Christy. Hey, Jeff, during a challenge, what happens if someone accidentally interferes with another player? For example, a player falls on a balance beam, knocking down another player and maybe even their puzzle. Do they have to start over or Hmm. do they have to just deal with it? I love this question because it speaks to the in the moment nature of the show. Mm. When we start a challenge, as Dee knows, there are certain rules and we're very clear about explaining them. Mm -hmm. And we'll even say at certain times, if you don't do this task, if you don't race back here and untie this knot, you'll be assessed a penalty, a time penalty. Usually that's Mm. all it takes for a tribe to realize we better do these steps. So rarely do we give any kind of a time penalty. And if we do, you've probably seen it in the show. But the more tricky part is, let's say you have eight people on one platform and they're all balancing something and the person to your left falls off. 
Now, in that moment, they have to be very mindful to not mess up the player to their right who's still in it. And the way we do that is we typically just say, remember, when you fall out, this challenge is still going. We've never had it happen where a player has either accidentally or maybe on purpose tried to mess up the challenge. But if they did, in that moment, we would do whatever was fair. And if that meant Mm -hmm. a full reset for whoever was left in the challenge, that's what we would do. But that's where your standard and practices person who is out there would come into play and the challenge department and myself. Hmm. All right, last question comes from Baylor. They write, hey, Jeff, can players ask questions to producers when they're on the island? If they find an advantage or a clue to an immunity idol, can they ask about when it expires or how to use it? Or is Mm. it just up to them to figure out based on the note? Great question, Baylor. Absolutely. They can ask for clarity. And they often do. Mm. Because sometimes maybe the note isn't written well, or maybe they're cognitively just a little diminished. And they can't figure (laughs) out if several means seven or a few. (laughs) So yeah, at, at any point, they can have a private conversation. And to extend that even a little further, we always tell the players at the beginning of the show, that the producer is your ally. Mm -hmm. They are your confidant. Sometimes you just need to say, hey, can I do an interview because I'm really upset about something and I want to get that off my chest. They can also be someone to brainstorm with. They're not going to give you advice, but they'll say, go ahead, run through all the scenarios. And then Mm -hmm. D might say, oh, wait a minute. Could I do that? Could I rehide it and then let them find it. If it was a clarity question, the producer would say, absolutely. If it was a strategy question, the producer would say, nothing. All right, that's it for episode one, Survivor 46. What are you two looking for in episode two? What have we set up that you're curious about, Jay? For me personally, I just want to spend some more time with Ben. I'm looking forward to seeing if that is like... (laughs) The sisterhood of the traveling vest and if it just moves around from player to player or, you know, (laughs) if it's just going to be for the two of them. How about you, Dee? I am looking forward to Tiffany and seeing how she ends up using her immunity idol and if Q and Kenzie can keep that a secret. All right, that's it for this week's episode of On Fire. If you enjoy this podcast and you have a moment, even right now, you could give us a rating as it would help the show grow. And if you really want to go for it, you can leave us a review like this one that comes from LF Park on Apple Podcasts that says, the perfect companion to Survivor. As a longtime fan, the podcast has drastically elevated my Survivor fan experience. And if you do leave us a review, we might just read it here. So please go ahead and do that wherever you listen to podcasts. There's a brand new episode of Survivor every Wednesday at 8, 7 central on CBS and Paramount Plus. And immediately following the Survivor episode, there's a new episode of this podcast on fire. See you then.